I get to walk deeply and accompany people and create something together and then become useless. You know, my job is to be deeply in communion with them, be the guiding force to helping create something, you know, use their words to script something and go back and forth until they're, they've signed off and adding music and film and whatever other things, props we're doing with it. But then it's theirs. It goes back to them and I become invisible. Welcome to Imagine Action Podcast. My name is Uri. In this episode, I'm speaking with Tess Sepinok on theater. Building transformative communities for future. It's really a privilege and also a joy to have a conversation with you. We met in Northern Ireland uh, in 2011. Uh, you were doing a project with uh, Derry Playhouse. I feel your work, the work you created with Theatre of Witness is, uh, yeah, I would even say like a, a landmark in, in, in this work. And I know it has inspired many others uh, in the way that it works with real stories to, hmm. Maybe you can say to do what, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we can start with the journey somehow. Um, how did you how did you get to do what you do? Like, what was your way in? Yeah, let me. Uh, I, I will do that. Uh, let me just yeah. go back the way I I'm struggling with the uh, label of uh, creative arts or, or facilitator because I. I don't think of myself as a facilitator. I, I, um, because I don't, I don't really do workshops and I don't teach a lot. I mean, even though I do do that, that's not the, that, that's an outgrowth of the work. Mm. The work is this deep creative process with a group of people to create a theater of witness production in which they are the performers. So it's not just mm. the stories, but it's that they, people who, who have, experienced a lot of oppression or marginalization or you know it, huge uh, life experiences violence um, tell their stories and we mine their stories as a way to find what the medicine is in it and then I weave it together to make a full production and they're the performers so in a way I'm facilitating something but I'm um, it, it it's not quite the right word um, but in a big umbrella it's fine <laughs> how, how about social arts how comfortable you are with the with social arts with the social would you see yourself as a social artist yes i you know i always see myself in between all categories like i think of my work as being social and i think of it as being um political historical sometimes i think of it as social service as you know like psychological I see it as artistic, I see it as, and I see it as spiritual and mysterious. And I think the one that's the spiritual and the mysterious is the one that interests me the most. That, that's really the driving force for me behind the work. Um, the, the point of telling the stories is really where, where's this place where we are, we're all human and we all can find our best selves, however we need to do that. And, and how can we make 
great meaning from our lives and connect with other people to make meaning. Um, and so some of it is symbolic, it's psychological, it's all of that. Um, but the, the spiritual part for me is really what the journey is. Um, so to go back to your question, what is the journey? How did I start? You know, you know how you start to go back and you can go back and back and back and back and back and you, you could start like um, when you were born um, or before you were born. Um, I had been a dancer and I taught dance at a, at a college and I, um, so I had made many pieces. I taught composition and improvisation and I love dance and dance for me was the way that I prayed even though I, I was at my peak of studying during the postmodern era in, in modern dance, really, in uh, the United States, which was definitely not connected to anything spiritual. It was very abstract and um, theoretical in a lot of ways. Um, but for me, it was always the language that I spoke to God with, and always. And, um, yeah, just that was that was the most important part of my life. And when I was in my uh, when I was thirty, I had my first son, and we made a tape recording, an audio tape recording of him laughing. He was a an infant. We were tickling him, and as you know, the delicious sound of an infant laughing hysterically and he can't stop. And we also recorded my grandfather, who was eighty eight when my son was born, and that was his great first great grandchild. And he was talking about what it was like to have a great grandchild. And so I used that audio, I mixed that audio with music with both of their parts and made a piece, uh, a dance piece. And I didn't feel like the dance itself was that successful, but I loved the audio. I, I loved the idea of this man, 88 year old man watching his, his, his great grandson. And, um, so I thought, I think I want to do a piece about aging. And I knew nothing about aging. And I was thinking I want to make a kind of a theater piece. And I had never taken a theater class. I actually don't like theater, generally. Um, I, whenever I went to uh, festivals and summer programs that were music, dance, theater, I stayed away from everybody who was connected to theater. I thought, I don't want to be around actors. I'm not interested in theater. But I knew I wanted to work with real people. And so I put an ad in the paper looking for older people who wanted to explore aging. And I found an incredible group of, of men and women. And um, we worked together for about nine months, just a few times a week um, with them telling stories and we danced and we played music and we meditated and we drew. And um, out of that came this piece called Years. And it, I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved being with the people. I loved their stories. And, and, it, and it, they were teaching me, like all of a sudden I found my teachers. They were, they were, teach, like, they were teaching me about life. And um, I remember my, maybe one of my favorite women in it, Kate, who I then worked with until she, until she died and she was 91. She, she was 84 at the time. And I had asked her, can you tell me what growing old is means to you? And she said, well, growing old is about the growing with this great beaming smile. And she had joined the Peace Corps when she was in her later life after, after she became a widow. And so 
that it was, there were so many of those stories that was just so life affirming and joyous and, and poignant and sad. And I had never had that kind of response from an audience. Um, they were on their feet, they were crying. It was like an incredible long standing ovation. And I kept thinking, but I don't really do anything. All I did, it was just theirs, you know, it was just them, you know, it wasn't super artistic like the way I was trying to work with dancers. Um, but I was listening and watching for their language, their language of movement, their language of speech, their language of, of symbolism. And so then I got invited to do another piece about uh, racial and cultural diversity with high school kids. And um, we toured that for a year. And then I got divorced and I thought, wow, the big issue for me is where do I belong and what is home? And I thought the only way I can really understand home is to, is to find out what it's like not to have home. And so I did a piece with 18 people in it, which I would never do again. I had refugees from Vietnam, uh, a man who had been in prison, a 73-year-old man living on the streets, literally living on the streets, uh, people who had grown up in the projects. Everybody had lost their home. And um, the work just reached into a place in me that fed my soul. And I knew that was, that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, even though I still didn't have a name for it. I didn't know quite what it was I was creating. I had no intention to create a new form or anything like that. I was just following the steps. So I, I gave up my job. I had a great job teaching at this wonderful college. When I left it, everybody in the world wanted my job. Like it was like, you know, it was most, everybody wanted that job. And I was done. I thought, I, you know, this is much that I can do with dancers, but with real people telling their stories as a way to help other people. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. So I, um, I, I really, what was important to me was as I was wrestling with this, there was a, I had hired somebody to, to make vi a video of one of my pieces. And he was sitting in my kitchen one day and he just happened to say that he used to be a telephone repair person and he would climb up on those high poles. And, and one day he realized that he really wanted to do video. And he, he said, you know, you can't jump off the cliff with one leg still on the cliff. You have to let go completely. And when he said those words to me, it was like somebody took a knife and went right into my heart. And it was like, okay, that's it. That is what you have to do. You've got to jump. You've got to let go of everything. You've got to let go of your identity as a dancer with your income. I was a single mom at that point. You've got to let go of everything and just start this, whatever it is. And it took me quite a few years to figure out I could call it theater of witness um, as a way to witness. And that just became my life's work, which I've dedicated 35 years to. And I would say it's allowed me to have a holy life. I've gotten to walk with men in prison for 30 years who never left prison. A man on, had been on death row, refugees with unbearable stories, people who've lost loved ones to inner city violence, um, in Northern Ireland, ex-combatants, victims, members of security forces, and in Philadelphia, most recently, police and people of color who've been targeted by police. So it's been an honor and it's, you know, having grown up in a white upper middle-class Jewish family, I never 
would have known the people that I know and loved the people that I love and been loved by the people that I have been loved by, by doing this work. So it's been my life really. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And um, so the, the, it's, a, it's a whole journey in itself. Just the, the entering is, is, the, is the journey somehow and kind of, um, yeah, I, I was moved in the beginning. You say it was my way to talk with God, speak with God and yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I have a very, I've had a very, very um, committed uh, meditation practice since 1972. So it's been 40 something years of deep practice. But the Judaism is also there. And in Judaism, it's the tikkun alam, you know, wanting to repair the world. I think that's just sort of deeply ingrained in me. And in the meditation, it's the bodhisattva path, you know, wanting to, wanting to help all beings and uh, relieve suffering of all beings. And I think that a lot of times the way to that is through it, you know, be able to go right into the suffering that people have experienced great, great suffering and find what is it, what penetrates that? What is that place that in them that, that got through that, that, that found transcendence or love or strength or the ability to forgive or whatever it is for everybody. It's a different story for everybody. Um, that's how I express those values, I think, or that calling in my life. What is it that has been guiding you? And what, what do you feel are the principles of your work? Or... You know, interestingly, I had been teaching this work for a while and one of my board members took my class and she said, you know, all you really need to teach is your guiding principles. You should write them all down. And I said, well, I've never thought about my guiding principles. And she said, well, you say them all the time. And I, re I realized, I, I actually sat down and I wrote them in like 10 minutes because it, they, they were ingrained in me, but I had never actually thought of them that way. Um, and they really are about bearing witness, you know, and listening with the ears of, of the heart and um, seeing everyone as me and finding the medicine in the story um, and finding the blessing in the deepest part of the wound. Um, so all of those, there's 13 of them. Uh, the last one is uh, expressed with creativity, but they're, they're all about that deep listening and the ability become the vessel to really become a being that can hold everything, including the paradox. You know, I remember working with a man in Poland who had killed his wife, his daughter, and his wife's mother. And he had been a professor. He spoke five languages. He was very erudite. Um, and I remember thinking, on one hand, I felt love for him. And on another hand, I was, uh, I abhorred what he had done. And how could I hold both? Both were true. One didn't cancel the other out. And I, you know, I actually had my arms way out thinking that's, that is what this work is about. Non, the non-judging, the holding of it all, trying to understand and penetrate the mystery and allowing 
people themselves to come to their own their own places of healing. Um, I'm not sure that man, he actually wasn't in one of my pieces. He, he kind of was around my piece and um, his cellmate in prison actually told that man's story in a way. But um, being with men who committed terrible crimes. Um, and you know, I remember one man, he, he just wept, wept, wept in my presence saying, you know, I know my life sentence is paying for the sins that I committed here, but will I go to heaven? How else would I begin to grapple with those questions if it wasn't with those kind of people? You know, I get to go, I get to walk deeply and accompany people and create something together and then become useless. You know, my job is to be deeply in communion with them, be the guiding force to helping create something, you know, use their words to script something and go back and forth until they're, they've signed off and adding music and film and whatever other things, props we're doing with it. But then it's theirs, it goes back to them and I become invisible which is always a hard process for me in this work. Stepping in, dropping away. Stepping in, dropping away. So it seems the questions are working. So it's, it's really about the challenges, the frustrations that you have faced. Yeah, I don't know if I would call it frustration. It's, it's a big enigma to me that um, it's like I go through a whole, it's almost like I'm helping to give birth and then whoever I am giving birth to grows up and they don't need their mother anymore. And, you know, having been a mother and my kids are in their late thirties and forties now, um, that has been true. It's been true for a long time with my kids. And what is that process when, you, when you're so needed, when you are the mother, when you're the nurturer, and then you, in that process of letting go. And I think as I, age, I just watch that more and more of this is about letting go. Everything is about letting go, letting go of our judgments, letting go of what we are so attached to, letting go of our health, letting go of everything we thought we cared about at some point, um, and giving it all away, in a way, is really about this work. And the people that I work with are always my teachers in that in whatever way they may not language it like that but they all have had to give up huge things in their in their journeys so what have been the gifts or the treasures that you have found during this work oh my goodness i can't tell you how many times i have felt my heart absolutely pierced to the core with love for people you know that the deep communion you know there's been many a time I've been in a prison cell weeping with a man, um, deep weeping. Um, seeing the beauty. I, I worked with a woman who had been a refugee. She was, um, she was from Cambodia and she grew up during the time of the killing fields and watched the Khmer Rouge uh, kidnap her father and 
make him uh, dig his own grave and she watched them kill him. She was in a child's camp, you know, Paul Pot, all the whole horrendous, horrendous story of the bones piling up on the streets. Um, so she ended up in a refugee camp in Thailand, living in a hole in the ground, breathing through a stick of bamboo for a year. She was hidden, breathing through the stick. And at night, people would uncover it and put some food down in the hole for her. I don't even know how you hold that story, how you hold any of that. But what an honor to work with her. And I remember when we were working on that piece, which was called Children of Cambodia, Children of War, there was a part where she sang the song in Khmer about the piles of bones. And, and then there was a, a man who translated it in English and there was movement happening on stage with everybody had a big stick and it was like they were walking through the fields, you know, with like the stick was almost like a, like a peg leg or something, or they had it over their shoulder and, um, and the bones and they were all being killed. And to bring it alive, to bring it three-dimensional, to have people witness her story, to hear her sing in that plaintive voice in Khmer, and to see that she survived, you know, I mean, she didn't just survive, she, her spirit has survived. Unthinkable, you know, trauma is not even a word that is even vaguely big enough to describe the Holocaust that she lived through. Um, there's nothing holier than that, you know? So that is the, big, the biggest gift, people's trust, um, their willingness to open up to me the gift of imagination, of working, working with the story and playing with it. You know, I love that creative act. I love that. Um, the gift of taking me out of a very um, limited bubble that I lived in, I grew up in, and had I not had this work and this calling, I would be playing cards and, uh, living a life my mother lived. Um, I, I can't really imagine that, but yeah, I would say the biggest gift is getting to walk, getting to walk with people, getting to, getting to hold their stories with them, getting to be in communion with people and feeling like there's been a healing of some kind, often for audience members almost always for the performers of some kind. It's not, it's not a panacea, it doesn't fix things, but there's an element of healing with this. Um, I, I always said, I, I wanna be used up by the time I die. You know, I kind of wanna be run out and I wanna be used up in this lifetime. So that's the gift. Yeah, I can I can resonate also with this kind of the teachers being the people you work with and how yeah and how it's yeah it gives such a a deep sense of what is is to be human today and forever <laughs> and 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 yeah so the, the next question, and this is kind of um, 
what would be the advice you would give someone just starting this journey? Keep going deeper. Keep going to a place that you know that maybe nobody else knows. Um, in a sense, listen to other people, but know this is your own journey. And it may not look like anything anybody's ever done. And it, you may go down wrong paths and you know all of that. You know, many times I feel like I've fallen to my knees and been in despair, all of that. But to, to trust that this is your life and a teacher can possibly see something in you and maybe reflect it back, hold the mirror up to you, but it's you. It all has to come from you. And um, I feel like so much time in education is spent people thinking about, well, what can I be prepared for a job? And um, this is not like that. You know, there, there's, you have to be willing to not have a lot of security. Unless security is really important to you and then I guess you find another path because this probably is not gonna be the path of security. Um, what else would I say? I always, I always say trust the process. Um, if you really trust the process, you go all the way through it, you know, meaning there'll be days when everybody is stuck. You cannot see a way out. I have had many of those days and oftentimes the answer's right there, but I'm not seeing it because of just the way that I'm looking. So, and do your own work. You know, if I didn't have my own spiritual practices, I couldn't possibly hold these stories. I couldn't possibly. So you have to keep growing. You have to find support. Um, and also not be, not be afraid of the alarms of this. You know? Trust what you know to be true. What has the deepest heart and meaning for you? what I would say. What you feel like when you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, I'm glad I did that. Even if it failed, I needed to do that. What are the things that keep you busy? What are you busy with right now? Trying very hard not to be busy. <laughs> One of my goals is actually to be willing to be in that sweet territory of silence and spaciousness which I think is a deep love of mine since I was young. I think dance was about space and about, about infinity, you know, uh, the idea that you could take a leap and land in the clouds, you know. Um, busyness is the opposite of that. It is filling your time up with tasks. And I find that in myself and with people that I know, it always takes us away from what is most important. I mean, some things we need to do. I mean, obviously we're parents, we have to, there's lots of things that we have to do, but I really, I, I guess I wanna, busy is not the word I would want. I would wanna be present with each thing I'm doing and um, having a quietness inside. I, I spent many years in a lot of stress where I was doing so many projects simultaneously, I would, work 12, 14, 16 hours a day, driving all over, 
thinking that adding more on and being more busy was showing in some way how important I was or how important the work was. And everybody I worked with felt that stress in me. Everybody got it, no matter what. I, I, I really look back and I, I've had to go back to people and just apologize for not having spaciousness in me to really always listen and be a calm presence to their terror or whatever they were feeling. So I'm in a place now where um, I'm working on this listening lab with a, with a hospital where we're recording people's stories, um, doctors and nurses and patients about, about what they're facing in this COVID time and this, what they've learned, um, how they've been listened to. So it's related to my work, but it's a, it's a great sort of smaller project that I can do while I am in quarantine really. Um, I was in the middle of a very big project um, in a very poor inner city community of color here with police and people in the community. And we were a few months away from when it was gonna open when the pandemic started. Um, and now I don't know if we're gonna go back to that at all. I don't, I, there's nothing I can do with it on Zoom. Um, my work is, it's 100% about being with people and being in their presence and the magic of that. And as much as I know, people during this time have pivoted and found a lot of different ways of working. It just does not work. People won't go as deep. They don't feel as safe. They might be in their own home. So other people are coming in and out. It's, you're looking at a screen. You're not breathing the same air as somebody. So, um, so I don't know. And I, I had had a dream of a new project I was gonna do before the pandemic started, which we hadn't even begun. And I don't know if I'll do that, whether this time is sort of leading me to be more reflective, um, that maybe there's something smaller, maybe there's something different. I'm trying to kind of take my own medicine and look at this time, not as a problem, but as the solution. You know, maybe it's getting me off of the patterns of the work that I've done for 35 years and offering up is that what could there be a new paradigm? You know, um, hoping I live to be 80, you know, what would these 10 years as an elder woman look like? Um, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm listening a lot and I'm meditating a lot. And I just decided yesterday, one of my teachers, a very important teacher of mine, um, Angelus Arian, who is a, she was a cultural anthropologist from the Basque region and uh, lived in the United States for a long time and was a beautiful, beautiful teacher who really synthesized uh, spiritual journeys of all different cultures. And I was listening to a, a video of hers that I had never seen. And it made me sit down and I thought, I'm gonna make a list of everything I love, everything that I love and it was such an amazing thing to do, you know, like, you know, the sound of seabirds, you know, uh, touching a baby, uh, being with somebody close, um, the mountains, you know, I mean, so many different things. And I was looking at that list and I was going, pretty much other than a few food things, everything was free. Every single thing on that list does had, it has nothing to do with the monetary system. 
you know, it's about nature and people and being and silence. And, and I think what I'm going to do is investigate and reflect on each thing on that list and see where that leads me um, in this phase. It may take me nowhere, but it may take me somewhere new. And it was kind of astonishing how many things are on that list that I love in the world. Um, and yeah. I, wanna, I, I guess I also wanna say, and I still am deeply connected with people who I've worked with who've been in pieces. The people from Northern Ireland, I've been doing some workshops actually online. We've got another one scheduled for next week with Google actually and some of the performers. And I don't know if this work is translatable in those kind of workshops, we'll see. Um, but I feel the commitment always to still walk with people. And there are some people that I still walk with um, even 20, 30 years later. What do you think this work and you know, social arts, your work, but other people's work, Hector's work, the other work you know, what, how can it support uh, humanity in this moment? I think that anything that is life affirming, that reaches and touches people is supporting humanity. That is what we all are craving. I think we get confused and we think that this work is supposed to create world peace. <laughs> we expect a lot from a theater production or a workshop. But I do think that all of it, anything that helps somebody open their heart to another, that to open to a new idea that they never thought of, to a possibility, to an imagination, to a bravery, to step into their own courage, to their own peacemaking, that is what we can offer. And I like to try to stay more and more humble in my um, claim in this work, even though I have seen miracle upon miracle in it, totally. I, it's small, it's seeds, but you know, that is what we can offer. And I know for myself, I am still working on, a, on seeds that were given to me when I was young, you know, some of them 50 years ago or pieces that I saw, I, I saw a wonderful piece called Runaways by Liz Suedos back in, oh, it was probably 1973 or four. And it was a piece with all runaway uh, teenagers living in New York City. And it eventually went to Broadway, but when I saw it, it was in a small theater. And I, I had no idea that that was going to influence me. I didn't start my own work that I called Theater of Witness for 20 or 30 years later but well, 20 years later, but it completely influenced me without knowing it because I loved it. I, so at the time I, I would have said I loved it, but I wouldn't have been able to say, this is gonna change the trajectory of my life and therefore the trajectory of other people's lives. So I think we don't know. We can offer, offer the best of ourselves and try to bring out the best in each other. Um, I think our cynicism, our depression, our um, shutdownness are not the gifts. Our grieving is a gift. 
that we can offer. Anything that will take people through, through, not, not bypassing, is a gift. So I think that's what we have to offer humanity. What is your wildest dream for, for yourself, for the work, for, for the world? I don't have an outward dream, I don't think. I think I have an inward dream. I want to feel like I have felt when I have been in a prison cell with somebody weeping, when I have been backstage watching a young teenage Cambodian girl tell her story and every fiber of me was electrified. I want to feel like we've just seen truth and beauty bound together. I want to feel like my heart has broken open. I want to feel that it made a difference that I was here. I want to feel the magic of the universe. I feel with Imagine Action, we have the opportunity to support this network of social arts across borders and, and see that emerge. And, and the question I'm asking people is, what would you, like, what do you think about that? What do you think as the importance of that, of mentoring and, um, and all social artists? And then what would you like to receive and give in a network like that? I'm not sure I can answer that either of those questions. Um, I feel like I'm in such an interior space right now that, and I have no, I, I feel like I'm really willing to look at, at that I absolutely don't know, which is one of, one of the guiding principles of theater witness being, be, be willing to not know, to not know anything. I don't have a clue what the future is gonna look like for me or for any of us. I know I am not interested in any of the old forms um, of having a company or any of that stuff. I'm not interested. I, I'm not somebody that generally likes conferences or any of that. I think I, I want one-on-ones with people that I feel a connection to. So I don't know if I have any need to be part of a network and everybody, you know, like that doesn't feel like, I don't really, theater witness may die when I die. It may just be done. I've tried teaching and that it is really, really, really hard to teach this. I think it, it is a practice that I've evolved for, you know, almost 40 years that comes out of my own life journey and, and gifts and practices. And um, somebody would need to really be at that level of wanting to devote the time and really to do. And I've had, in Northern Ireland, I had two people that really made theater witness pieces that I think did beautiful jobs, you know, Alessia and um, Thomas from London. Uh, but I haven't, neither of them is, are, they only did one project and you know our time was over. I, 
I'm not passing it along. I wanted to pass it along, or I, but people will change it anyway and it will evolve. So I don't have any desires for the network, um, particularly. I feel honored that you're including me, but I also don't feel like I have much that I'm offering. I mean, I feel like my work has offered a lot and my continued work, but in terms of a structure of an organization that people will mentor each other and help each other and give workshops, I probably am not gonna be part of that unless it happens in a way that feels very effortless for me, um, where students who are really ready come to me, uh, then I would probably open myself up. So I don't, I don't think I'm really answering your question. No, you, you, are, you are answering the, the question. I think you're saying a lot about the conditions in which this is useful or not useful and, and or the tools to, to, to really appreciate. Um, Interesting is um, listening. I'm very, it, it, I, I don't usually like it when people talk about age differences with people, but the, the one way to think of this right now for me is that as I have gotten, especially when I turned 70, which felt very seminal, it is a time for me to let go of things. So I am not trying to build a conception of something coming together, which I did all my life, bringing people together, you know, each performance, each project, each every, it's always about bringing people together, building. That's a generator, generative time. You are in a generative time. I am in the letting go time. I am in the actually letting go of everything, like everything. That's my job now. Whether work will be part of that in the letting go process, I do not know. But I know I'm not in the generative time in the same way. It's a completely different generative of letting go, generative of eldering. Um, so the questions that are the big questions for you, some of them don't apply to me in the same way right now. They would have 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but not now. Um, I'm like, I'm in a different phase and I'm loving this phase. If you like the podcast, like, share, and subscribe. Please support Imagine Action on Coffee and See you in the next episode.